Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, today we're, we're starting a new series that it can really impact a lot of lives. If we'll take this, this message and really put it into practice, it can have a great impact on not only our lives, but on those around us. So the title of the series is One Minute into Eternity, and what happens when we step into eternity? And it's a good question. It's one we all have to answer. Some of you may not like to talk about death, but it's inevitable. You may not be comfortable with it. You may not like to think about it, but here's one thing we know. Death is promised to us all. And unless Jesus comes first and raptures us away, uh, we will all die a physical death. So while our bodies will cease to exist, our soul will live somewhere forever. And we want to look at 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 8. And uh, let's just go ahead and begin there. For we know that if our earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, we, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For if we, we walk by faith, not by sight, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So while we live in these temporary earth suits, here's the question we really need to ask ourselves. Why, we understand that in light of eternity, we spend a very short time here uh, in these bodies. But while we're here, what is our calling? What is our mission? What is our purpose? Is it to accumulate a lot of money? Is it to become famous? Or is it this, that we, is it now so, to the place where we just get a, a record amount of likes and shares on our social media because we use the right filter and the right caption? I mean, some people are just driven by these things. So what is our purpose? And uh, verse 9 tells us, Therefore we, have made, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, look at this, to be well-pleasing to him. To be well-pleasing to Jesus. Our goal, our purpose is to be well-pleasing to Jesus. So our goal is to glorify God. That's our calling. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And what we do, all that we do, it's to be pleasing to him. So to bring that, that truth into kind of higher definition, let's look at verse 10. It says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So each of us will receive what we deserve, whether it's good or bad. It's a sombering thought, isn't it? The things we've done or the things we've not done in this body, the things we've called, we were called to do, but we did not accomplish. So here's the truth I really want to share with you in this message this morning. But uh, what you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. So what you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. So if, you're, if you truly believe that God created you, and God created you with a plan and a purpose, and he has a specific plan and a purpose, and it's up to us to, to find out, to discover that plan, 
and to walk in it to please him, if you truly own that, if it's truly a guiding principle in your life, it will change how you live life daily. It will shape the way you live. Beyond our confession, our creeds, our good intentions, what we believe to be true will determine our actions. What we believe to be true will determine our actions. So when we look over this, this message or this series, that's kind of going to be the, the truth I'm going to be pressing. And uh, next week we're going to talk about hell. Is hell a place? Of course it is. So what happens in hell? Who goes to hell? Why did God create hell? Is there real suffering in hell? But likewise, we need to talk about heaven. And who goes to heaven? Do we get new bodies when we go to heaven? Do we recognize each other when we go to heaven? What do we do when we are in heaven? Do we just float around on a cloud and strum our harp? I mean, what do we do in heaven? So just kind of laying the foundation for the series here today. And uh, as we do that, there's the, this is what I want you to consider. What happens immediately after death? And there's three things I want us to look at. Number one, we talked about it a little bit already. Number one, our physical bodies die. So obviously our physical bodies die. This, this earth suit no longer has life within it. So I know there are, are religions that teach this, that there are many lives or there, are, there you know, are multiple lives, but the Bible is crystal clear on the subject. Hebrews 9.27, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So one life to live, and then there's the judgment. So I want to make sure everybody understands this information I'm going to share. Because according to, to recent studies, and these are conclusive, one out of one person will die. One out of one person will die. So unless the rapture happens first, you have a 100% chance of death. And uh, for those of you who have certain fears or phobias, that are surrounded around death. Maybe you avoid certain things because you're afraid you're going to die in a, in a certain way. Let me just ease your mind a little bit. Here are the most popular ways to die in the United States of America. All right, 23% will die of heart disease. 22% will die of cancer. 6% and just rapidly drops off after that, by the way. 6% will die of chronic respiratory disease. Uh, 5% will, will die in an accident. 5% will die of a stroke. 4% will die of Alzheimer's, uh, 3% will die of diabetes, 2% will die of the flu or pneumonia, 2% will die of kidney disease, 2% uh, will die of, of uh, suicide, and there's like 26% remaining, and all those deaths, basically they're all less than 2%. And they, they, you combine them all together, and it's 26% of the other deaths. So the odds are you are going to die something that is more in line with natural causes. Now, I don't know about you, I'd rather just go to bed and not wake up. But we don't get to choose our death. And it's an inevitable. So if you're afraid to go into the, the gulf because you're afraid you're going to get eaten by a shark, you have less than a 2% chance. I don't even know what it is, but I, just, I know it's minuscule. All right? If, if you're afraid of, of, of walking out... Just, and somewhere in there is a construction going on. You're afraid a crane's going to fall on your head and kill you. So you can't let those fears and phobias drive your behaviors is all I'm saying. You're, you're going to die probably most likely of something that is in line with natural causes. So just remember that. So scripture says this. People are destined to die once and after that face the judgment. One life to live. So again, let me assure you of this. If you're born again, your sins were dealt with at the cross. Your sins were dealt with at the cross. But you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ if you're born again. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So first thing that happens when we die, we step into eternity. Yes, our their life leaves that mortal body that we have, but number two, our soul separates from our physical body. 
And upon death, our physical bodies stay behind, but our soul continues on. It continues on forever. And let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And Jesus said this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. So upon death, our body ceases to live, but again, our soul continues to live on forever. And uh, Jesus illustrated this truth in the gospel, uh, John's gospel, and when he was talking to Martha, and you remember where, where Martha's uh, brother's Lazarus, he's passed away. And don't you love how the King James, <laughs> how the King James verbalizes his death? You know, Jesus comes, he's been dead for four days. And Lord, he stinketh. You know, he stinketh. He's in there four days, he stinketh. And I love what, how Jesus responds to, to Martha's just grieving words. And John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, will live. He shall live. What happens to the soul of a follower of Jesus after the body dies? Really, the Bible isn't 100% clear on a lot of things. That's life after death. Here's what I mean. There are certain things we do know. There are certain things we just don't know. But here's something that's very clear. We can look at some scripture that points us out to some of the things that we do know. So like this, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So when we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. So the soul continues on to live after death. I know there are some people, they like to say this, and, and I've heard it even in my own family. Uh, someone who loves Jesus, they go on to be with the Lord, and I, I know they're with me. Though they're with Jesus. They're with him. He, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, I know it sounds good, and we may have some feelings, but the truth of the matter is that if they love Jesus and they're born again, listen, they don't hang around. They're absent from the body. They are present with the Lord. So we know there, there were two criminals on the cross next to Jesus, both guilty of their crimes. Both needed forgiveness. One man re recognized his, his need, and he calls upon Jesus. He calls upon the grace of Jesus, and he says to, Jesus says to this man, you will be with me in paradise. He calls on him, forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. And Jesus tells me, today you will be with me in paradise. Where is that exactly? Again, Bible isn't completely 100% clear. But we do know this, that it's much better than being on earth. Philippians 1, 20 through 25, Paul writes this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will uh, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul sees the value of both life here and life apart of the body, or life away from the body, life with the Lord. And he sees both of them and, and how valuable they are. And he's torn between the two. He knows this, if he stays in the body, if his, if his life continues on, he's able to be a blessing to the church. He's able to, to continue to lead people to Jesus. He's but he also understands this, that, you know what, while that's beneficial for you, for me, 
to be apart from my body and to be with the Lord is more beneficial for me personally. And that's where he's torn. Yeah, for me, it's great, but for you, it's better. So he sees the dilemma. And I just want you to see that, that life here on earth, is, it can be great, but life in heaven is going to be far better. Now, I would say this. Wouldn't it be a shame? Because I think we need to take on Paul's attitude, his perspective. He wants to stay on earth so that it benefits others. Now, wouldn't it be a shame that we live all of our days, live our lives in a way that we don't have an impact on our family, and we don't have an impact on our friends, we don't have an impact on our coworkers. Otherwise, I'm saying this. Let's say we leave earth today, and they are left behind. We die, our days are over, and they continue on, and they never serve Jesus. What, what a, what a, wouldn't it be heartbreaking to enter into eternity and, and find out that your loved ones aren't there? It'd be a shame. So what happens one minute after we die? We know this, the body dies, it ceases to have life, buried in the ground. We know there will be a resurrection. Thank God for that. We understand that the soul separates from the body. But number three, we will face judgment. We'll face judgment. Everyone will face judgment, Christian or non-Christian. 1 Peter 1.17, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your life live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So our, our Heavenly Father, to whom we pray, has no favorites, uh, and He will judge and reward each of us according to what we do. Now, this world is not our home, amen? We're just passing through. But we live here for a short time, and while we live here in a short time, in comparison to eternity, we're temporal beings, but listen, we, we have a calling upon our lives. We have a purpose, and again, that purpose that call it is to please Jesus, to glorify God. So at the end of this life, we will be judged and we'll be rewarded for what we do or what we don't do. So let me show you in scripture, two different judgments, and we'll talk about each one. And again, we'll all appear before one of these two judgments, each one of us. The first one's called the great white throne of judgment, or the great, great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is reserved for those who are not born again. The Apostle John was on uh, the Isle of Pat Patmos, and when he was exiled there, he had a vision. And this is what he sees in the vision. Let's look at Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they've done, as, the, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, thank God, Jesus is the Son of God. He's born without sin. He's called the Lamb of God, correct? And so he was slain for the forgiveness of our sins, and, and Jesus died in our place. Again, this is a place uh, for people. There will be no mercy. There will only be judgment, and this differs greatly from the judgment seat of Christ, which we'll talk about later. So when you come to this place, it's like you're, you're like the criminal who is on the cross. You have to, to recognize you have a need for Jesus that no one else can fill. Only Jesus can. In order to escape this judgment, you must be like that man who realizes, you know, I'm condemned. 
I'm guilty. You know, I'm, what I'm being crucified for, I'm guilty of. And that has to change. And he recognizes his need. And he calls upon, again, the grace of Jesus and places his faith in him. That's the only way we escape this judgment. And as a result, when that happens, whenever that takes place, and, and I don't take um, altar calls or anything lightly, but I am just saying this, that every time someone responds to an altar call, I don't automatically assume they're saved because I can't. Because, number one, I'm not God. And I have to look at evidence and proof. But I do know this. Whenever someone makes that decision, when they're completely like, you know what, I'm done. I'm just like the, the thief on the cross. I'm sold out. I've dedicated my life. I'm giving it. Then I know what happens then. Your name is written down. And the scriptures are clear. Your, your place of residency is a place that your future home or your future residency will be a place that you'll enjoy. Jesus says this, and this is one of the most sobering verses in all scripture. And I go back to every church, every church member, every churchgoer to really concentrate on these verses. I mean, just, just throughout your year, just kind of look at this verse and really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And again, I'm not trying to cast a doubt on your salvation or anything like that. But remember, it's, it's the job of the Spirit to examine our hearts. So just consider this verse, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Look what Jesus says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And what a, again, what a sobering thought, isn't it? Many who will, who will stand before this great white throne, and they will be stunned when they hear Jesus say, I never knew you. But Jesus, you know, I gave every year to charity. Uh, I went to church. I was nice to people. I helped everyone. I never knew a stranger. I know there, there's religious hypocrites out there. I was better than all of them. I did good works. I did this. I did that. No man or woman will stand before the great white throne and will be found innocent. No one. Everyone who stands before this throne will stand condemned. So in order to escape the judgment of this throne, your name must be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you're not sure, then make sure today, man. Don't leave here today without making sure because you can have that assurance and give your life to Christ. The second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. And he's writing this to, remember, he's not writing this to, to people who are lost. Let's be very clear about this. He's writing this to believers. He's not writing this to people who are lost. He's writing this to believers. Everyone got that? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all, all believers, all born-again believers, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Of course, the judgment seat of Christ comes from the Greek word bima. And the, the, that word, you can use it, you can look at it throughout Greek culture and how it's used. And it's used several different ways. I'm just going to focus on one. But often they would use the Bema seat or the judgment seat even in the Olympic Games, in the Greek Olympic Games. And after the race, the winners would come before the judge who would stand or sit at the Bema seat, and they would give out rewards. And the Bema seat was not a place where you were qualified. It's not where you were qualified. You're already in the race. 
It's a matter of how you ran the race. So the Bema Seat was a place to where we celebrate the fact that you finished the race and you were faithful with whatever you were given and you were rewarded for what you've done. And it's, it's very important to understand the judgment seat of Christ, again, is not a place of the judgment for our sins. Where are our sins dealt with? At the cross. Our sins are judged and forgiven by Jesus at the cross. So the judgment seat of Christ is a place where Jesus acknowledges what we did on earth and we are rewarded in heaven. Now listen, we understand this. We aren't saved by works. And we can't be religious enough. We can't never be good enough. However, we are sinners, and sin separates us from God, from a holy God. We are saved by the grace of God, but faith puts us into contact with that grace. If there is an experience of true grace and true faith, there will be new birth. So if there is an experience of true grace and true faith, there will be new birth. And works will follow. Works will follow. There will be evidence of what takes place in our hearts. So we're saved by grace, but we are rewarded for works. Remember, our sins are dealt with at the cross, but we are rewarded for our behaviors at the judgment seat of Christ. So when we are truly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, all right, you, you are a new creation at that moment. And when you realize that and you live accordingly, you're, it's not, listen, and this is where some people get confused. People who are heavy on grace and they don't understand that how works works or how evidence, what, what we call evidence or spiritual fruit. It's like, well, why do you have to do all that to get saved? No, you don't understand. I don't have to do anything. I want to do this. I want to live my life for you. I don't have to. I want to. There's a big difference between the two, right? Hey, go clean your room, young man. You have to, right? Because mom and dad said. And there's a difference between just getting up like, man, my room's a pigsty. I, I don't like this. I don't want to live like a pig. I just I want my room to be clean. There is a different motivation between the two. And when you're born again, you have that motivation to do the right thing. You're, you, and listen, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that your desires have changed. Again, what, how does that manifest? Spiritual fruit works. Suddenly, you don't want to work for your salvation. You want to live for the glory of God. You want to please him. Because of what Jesus did in your life, you're, you're no longer, you no longer want to be the same. We're rewarded in heaven for how we live, for our works. And what we do matters eternally, church. What we do in this life matters eternally. What will you be judged for? What will you be judged by? Or, or let me share it this way. A few things that we will be judged for or by, however you want to term it. We'll be judged and rewarded for how we treat people. We'll be judged and rewarded for how we care for the least of these. We'll be judged and rewarded for how we cared for the outcast, for the poor, for the broken, for the marginalized, for the hurting. We'll be judged by our motives. But your motives will be laid bare and they will be judged. You'll be judged by your words that you speak. You'll be judged by how you endured suffering and rewarded if you endured suffering well. You'll be rewarded or judged by what you have and what you do with it. Did you use your resources to be a blessing for the kingdom of God? You know what I find amazing is, is uh, I think it's, we got Discovery Plus, and I'm just fascinated by some of the shows that are on Discovery Plus. And I, I love it when they go to Egypt and they find new tombs. 
and they unearth these new tombs. And whether they're, they're royalty or not, it's just fascinating because the Egyptians went through all this, this uh, uh, process and put all this importance and prominence on their stuff that they needed in the afterlife. And here we jokers are bar- digging them up with all their stuff still in their grave. But you know what? It's no different today. We live accordingly. We live like it does matter the most. We'll be rewarded for our stewardship of the possessions God places in our hands. We'll be judged and we'll be rewarded. You'll be judged and rewarded when you bring people to Jesus. Thank God. Listen, the best treasure you can have in heaven is a soul. The only thing that is going to escape this life and into the next life is a soul. And when you are responsible or you are, are, are a part of that process to bring someone to Jesus, that, that is the most valuable commodity that is in heaven. Remember that. And you'll be judged. You'll be rewarded for the people you bring to Christ. You'll be judged and rewarded for the people that you disciple. Because remember, it's not just making a convert, right? It's making a disciple. So you'll be judged and rewarded for that. And the Bible says there is a crown for those who win souls. I don't know about you, I want a crown. Again, I don't want it because I can strut around heaven like I'm important. No, I want to bring glory and honor to God. I want to be, well, this is, this is how he, it's the victor's wreath. It's the crown. Well done, good and faithful servant. It is not, it's not stingy. It's not, it's not fleshly for you to want and desire that crown. Not whatsoever. It is the most valuable thing that you'll find in heaven. Symbolic of the soul's Symbolic of the people who you disciple. For those of you who led someone to Christ, you will be rewarded for what you did. Imagine this, your life is over, all your stuff you thought was important, it's all left behind. You, share, you just show up before the, thro- the, the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and it's just you. There's no stuff, there's no people, it's just you. And you may not even be able to stand, you may just have to fall to your knees in the, in the presence of God. And he takes that crown, and he places it upon your brow, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't know about you, that's what I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. And that's going to be your greatest reward. So what are you doing in this life to make sure that happens? What are you doing in this life to make sure that happens? You know what, every week when those kids come into the fellowship hall on a Wednesday night, and they're running around, they're crazy, and it could be, it could be chaotic at times, Right? And it can be messy. It can be messy dealing with some of those kids because some of their family lives are not that great. Some of them don't have the supervision that they need. So sometimes it's taxing. Sometimes it's difficult. But every time, and I'm just focusing on them for just a moment, anytime you pour into those kids, anytime you're, whether you're out there serving or if you're at least giving, if you're putting meat on the table, you're a part of that. And I've heard people say this, well, you know, they're the ones that don't pay the bills. You know what? If you'll take care of that need, Jesus takes care of the bills. He'll take care of it. And can I tell you this, too? And sometimes you'll say, well, those kids go back to home and their parents mess that all up. Listen, I put much higher value and, and, and depth in the power of God's Word. Because at some point in their life, they may not live for Jesus for a long period, but you know what? They're going to come to a crossroads and they're going to make a decision. And you know what? Some of them will say, you know what? I remember when I was in Royal Ranger class, or I was in Missionettes, or I was in kids' church, or whatever. And I remember so-and-so, they shared Jesus, or they shared this, that when you're going through a difficult time, this is what you need to do. And they'll call upon the name of the Lord. You got 60 or 70 kids out there. What if one does it? Praise God for that, amen? What if two? 
What if three? What if four? At the judgment seat of Christ, this is what will happen. There will be things that you do in your life that no one else notices, that no one else knows that you did for the good. You didn't get caught doing the right thing, but you did the right thing. You know, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I fully believe this. Jesus will say this. I saw it. I noticed. I noticed when you did the right thing. I noticed when you were tempted, you could have done the wrong thing, but you did the right thing. I noticed. I noticed when, when you gave, you tithed. I noticed this, that when you met the needs of other people. I noticed this, that when you saw someone suffering, that you went to them. I saw that. I'll say, well done. When they were in prison, when they were hungry, when they were thirsty. Jesus, when did I do that? I mean, the verse just comes alive. He'll look at you and say, you know what? When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So what we believe about eternity directly impacts, impacts how we live today. So does your life live up with your confession? Does your life live up to your confession? So when it comes to living eternity, I have to say this myself. I would love to say that I'm perfect and I never make mistakes. And I never get off track, but I would be lying because I do. I get off track sometimes. You know, sometimes I, I look at this, that maybe the longer that I live in this life, I thought this was the illusion. The longer that I serve Jesus and the longer that I live in this world, just by, just by due to that time that I'll just get, it gets easier to live for God. That's not true. You know why? Because the more time we spend on this planet, the more time we spend in this world, the more comforting we get towards the things of this world. The longer we stay on this earth, the more challenge it becomes because the more comfortable we get with the things of this world. I love to say I'm just, I'm more eternally minded than that, but I'm not. And you know, I don't get far off, but I do get off base. Anyone else get off, ever get off track? Here's what I don't, and I don't recognize, I don't think any of us recognize this, is when we're serving God, we don't realize the opposing force that this world has, a gravitational pull, if you will. You know, we're trying to be heavenly minded. We're trying to live for God. We're trying to be uh, uh, free from this world. We're trying to live without our roots in the ground, but gravity, the gravity of this world just presses down, and we get comfortable. We get our roots settled, and that's dangerous when we do that, because why? We start to live not for, the, for eternity. We start to live for the temporal. Sometimes just I don't recognize how strong that opposing force is. I become more comfortable with life, and the more comfortable I come with life, the more I crave comfort. So with me, everything with me, I gotta, I gotta fight that pull, and I'm sure you have to do as well. Have you ever noted this? Noticed this that when you're when you're serving God, you're doing things well. You can just spend some few precious moments with the Lord in the morning, and it's. it's I'm not saying it's, but it's enough. But then you get to places where you're not going the right direction, and you've got to spend a lot longer time to get yourself re re-centered. Why, why is that? Because the gravitational pull of this world is so strong, and it's so heavy. I, I, again, I look at this. Complacency in the body of Christ is, is the worst thing. It's the worst thing. I mean, it's the devil's best plan. So we have this, this, this tension that always exists, and we've got to fight against it. The Holy Spirit always needs to recalculate us, and we've got to always allow him to have that, that process, because if not, our flesh will take roots, and we'll get comfortable, and we won't be so heavenly minded. We won't be so eternally minded. We won't do things that are, are focused on eternity. We'll do things that are focused on here and now. What I have, what I don't have, what I need, what I want. So what do we do? How do we combat that? 
Well, when it comes to stuff or when it comes to giving, you just have to give until you're uncomfortable. That's the only way you, you break those, those roots. Because trusting the things of this world, it feels good to our flesh, but to break that sacrificially, you have to give. Pray longer than it feels normal. Well, this is my normal five-minute time. No, press on past that. Spend longer time with God's word, in God's Word. I need to press on. I, I, I use this to read a verse today. Well, just maybe not even just read more. Just spend more time contemplating that verse. You know, God, speak to me more. If you find yourself more concerned with the world, whatever it has, whether it's football, shoes, education, the job, new house, popularity, car, next vacation, whatever it is, cut the roots. Cut, those things will not last eternity. And they won't mean a hill of beans when you stand before Jesus. There was a, uh, a poem wrote by C.T. Stead. I'm going to read the whole thing. I, I love the challenge of this poem. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life to live, church. Let's live it for the glory of God. Amen. Let's live it for the glory of God. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.